Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Truth That Heals podcast. Today, I have a special guest. Her name is Angie. Angie, nice to have you with us. How are you doing? I'm good, Ryan. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here talking with you. So I met you. Well, actually, I've never met you, but I've I've sort of met you uh, through a friend. Her name is Kelly. She yes. also has her own podcast. Shout out to Kelly. She's on the Unbroken podcast. Um, Woo, Kelly! And she's amazing. And I wanted to just express how honored I am to have you here with us on my podcast. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. So the name of the podcast is The Truth That Heals. So I've made a platform where people can speak their truth. But at the same time, the goal is to kind of arrive towards healing. So I would like to ask you uh, if you can give us a little bio about yourself. Yeah. So um, I am a child abuse survivor. I My abuse started when I was very young and I had no memory of it until about seven years ago. Um, so in many ways, I was very, uh, I might say lucky that I didn't have memories of it. I was able to grow up. I'm a registered nurse and I worked, um, I've been a nurse for almost 20 years. I ended up getting married. I went through an abusive marriage and ended up finally being able to divorce my husband. Um, I grew up in a very religious household. My abuse happened at church by friends of my parents. And so growing up in a very religious, uh, my parents are very, very conservative Christian. And it was a very, um, I grew up Mormon or in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And there was a, um, uh, I don't know what else to call it. So I call it a pedophile cult that was hiding out within the congregation that we went to. Um, so anyway, about seven years ago, I had a mental breakdown. Some things happened in my life that started these memories coming back, um, started abusing alcohol and ended up checking myself into an inpatient psychiatric hospital for about a month in order to, um, to not harm myself. I definitely was at a place where I was ready to end everything. And that became, began a pretty intensive journey into healing from the years of of child abuse that I experienced. So you said that you had forgotten so much. I uh, had no memory of it. Yeah. Was there something that kind of triggered it? There was. I um I was dating somebody and was in a pretty serious relationship. And I found out my partner was cheating on me because they posted on social media that they had a new partner and while we were still together. And so that betrayal by my partner, um, someone who was supposed to love me and care about me, unlocked the memories of my child abuse. So I was actually dealing with, with dueling traumas, the, the trauma of my partner cheating on me and telling me in such a public way, as well as now these memories of, of horrific child abuse coming, coming out. So as, as I'm hearing your story, because well, me, I like to, you know, read memoirs and watch YouTube and hear other people's stories because as I'm hearing their stories, I kind of, it helps me to understand that I'm also a victim and that uh, I can, you know, get over this, this dark, this dark moment. But 
I'll be honest, when I was in the, the darkest hour, it was just the most painful. So mm -hmm. I kind of want to, uh, I don't want to uh, go in too deep in, in the questions, but I, I kind of want to understand mm -hmm. um, how is it that you were able to face this darkness after 20 years of it hiding? Uh, that's a really good question. And I, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm laughing partially because just FYI, that is my trauma response. Um, I don't know. I don't know how I faced it. It was, it was almost like, uh, somebody asked me what was the first step that I took. And it wasn't even a step. It was for me, it was a crawl, like a baby crawl. I could only take it almost one moment at a time. It was so overwhelmingly painful. Um, that's why I did start abusing alcohol. Uh, and that is ultimately why I did check myself into a psychiatric unit that specialized in trauma because I knew I couldn't handle it myself. It was so overwhelming. It was so painful and it was so all consuming that I needed way more support than what I was going to get on my own. So when these memories started coming back, that was, I believe you said 13 years ago, seven? Only seven, seven years ago. So seven years ago, were you still involved in the uh, Church of Mormon, Latter-day Saints? Yeah, so uh, they go, um, they used to be go, they used to go by Mormons. They now prefer to be called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I will use them interchangeably, the LDS church um, or Mormonism, because when I was growing up in it, they were used interchangeably. Um, and the answer is no. I had left the, the Mormon church about, um, oh, it's been 12 years now. Um, I left the Mormon church shortly after my divorce, um, which was about 13 or 14 years ago. So I had already left the Mormon church, which I think is what did help enable me to be at a place where I could start to handle the memories that were coming out. I don't know that I could have handled them or that they would have even come out had I still been active in the church. And was there like, uh, well, you have mentioned that there was abuse happening, uh, was. but, but was there like a pivotal moment where you said, that's it, I'm out of here. There was. Um, so I had stopped going to church. I was no longer active Mormon about 13 years ago. And then only about, I would say three and a half, four years ago, did I actually go through the formal process of having um, it, the, the, the Mormons term it your membership revoked. So you have to actually send a letter to the LDS church headquarters in Utah um, and ask to have your membership revoked. You have to go through kind of this formal process. And I did that about four years ago. Um, and the reason I did that is because I had found out that the current Mormon prophet, the current leader of the Mormon church, his daughter, um, so I had had some memories. I'm going to have to do a little backstory on this one. Mm -hmm. So I had had some memories come out. I experienced what is called ritualistic child sexual abuse. So there were a lot of rituals involved in, in the abuse that I experienced. And <clears throat> I had had a particularly horrific memory that I was dealing with in therapy. And I just couldn't even, like my logical grown-up brain couldn't even process it. And there were some very specific phrasing um, of things that had happened. And I had gone and Googled them just to see if there was anything else out there because I was feeling like I was 
crazy for what I was remembering. And it turns out that the current Mormon prophet or the current LDS prophet, his daughter was accused in a lawsuit of the same thing that I had had memories come out of or a very similar um, thing. And when I realized that someone that high up in the church was being accused of the same memories. Now she denied it. Um, the lawsuit was dismissed. So allegedly I should probably say, but she was allegedly accused of doing the same crimes. Um, I no longer was willing to even be considered a member active or inactive. I wanted my membership completely cut off. So I am now no longer in any way, shape or form Mormon. So did the, um, church of latter-day saints um well well first of all i, ha I have a question because yeah. like in catholicism we have like they're called like parishes i guess yes. that'll be like kingdom halls or something or for you guys i think it's temples or so in um Mormonism, it's called it's called a ward um okay. it's the congregation that you go to church with on sundays is called your ward and then um about six or seven of these wards or congregations make up what's called a stake and so it's kind of divided into hierarchy um depending on the group that you go with and then it goes to a larger area and then it kind of expands up to the whole church in general so my abuse was happening in my ward or my specific congregation and the daughter of the prophet was accused of doing similar things in a different ward in a different congregation with a different group of people completely unrelated to what um to the people at least to my knowledge she was not ever involved in what i was experiencing it was a different group of people okay so what when these things happened um like is there anyone that you can go to from the leadership in your ward or do you have to go to a higher council how does that work um so the answer is yes and <laughs> that you know it's never quite as clear cut mm -hmm. um in theory mormons are supposed to be able to go to their leaders um my abuse started when i was about um a year and a half and so because i was so young and that was all i knew from such a young age i didn't even know that what was happening was really so I was told it was what God wanted and so um I never questioned it because these were people who were friends of my parents they were also leaders in the um in the congregation in the Mormon church they have what they call lay clergy which means that they're not people who have actually gone and studied. Um, they're just normal. I'm going to put that in quotes. They're just general people who are in the congregation. And then um, Mormons believe that God gives a revelation to someone who's in a position of leadership that so-and-so is now supposed to have this calling or this position of leadership. And um, they only serve in these callings for three ish years. And then someone new is put into that position. And so they're constantly rotating. So for me with my abuse, my abusers were actually leaders in the congregation. They went through periods of, um, being the leaders in the congregation and, and being actively involved in, in the ward, the congregation that we went to. So, um, I could not, have gone to my leaders, even if I had known 
what was happening was wrong. But like I said, because mine started when I was so young, I didn't. Um, and I believe that God wanted it because these people were being put in positions of leadership and power. My child brain just took it as they were, you know, this is what God wanted. So I didn't question. Um, but yes, in, in theory, Mormons are supposed to be able to go to their leaders. And if they don't get the response that they feel comfortable with, there is a, um, someone higher or someone else that that they can go speak with so you really had no one to really speak to from the leadership and no one to kind of put an end to it no i i don't know exactly when it stopped um i have not gone back and really delved into those memories i do know um that when i was about 14 things changed um and i'm assuming that it went probably up until I left for college at age 18 or shortly there thereabouts um, because because of some of the stuff that happened um, my assumption is that it did go on for most of my teenage years and so, I, I mean, in addition yeah. to my childhood uh, I'm, uh, I watched recently maybe a month or two ago uh, I think it was called the keepers on Netflix I'm not sure if you've heard of it or seen it I have not, but I have to admit, I have to stay away from some of those shows um, okay. because I get really um, a lot triggered by them. So I might have heard of it and just chosen not to watch it. Okay, I don't don't. Watch you it. can talk about it. I don't yeah. have a problem. Yeah. yeah, we can talk about it. It's just the the story is very similar, but in this case, it was in the Catholic uh, mm -hmm. school uh, with you know little girls and. Uh, I don't want to get into like the dirty details, yeah. but before the things happened, uh, the priest would would tell, you know, the victims, this is how God loves you or, you know, something like that. And yes. it sounds like they told you something similar, how that this is God's expression of his love. Um, it, yes, God's expression of his love. Um, it was that, um, God was trying to help me learn how to be good. I, he was trying to help me learn how to be the most righteous, um, divine being that I could be. Um, I, I don't know how much detail you want me to go into, um, but I would be, um, punished and my punished and I put that in quotes for anybody who's not watching the video um I would be punished because I did things that were according to my abusers disrespectful to, to God Mormons call God heavenly father so I, I would be doing things that are disrespectful to heavenly father but those things when I was three were like I would go to the bathroom at church or I would eat a snack because Mormon had back then we went to church for three hours a day on Sundays and um, then I would be punished or molested as a way to teach me how to learn to be um, to be respectful to Heavenly Father. It was I was told that it was because I was so inherently bad that that was the only way that that God could teach me how to be good and how to come back to live with Him. Wow, that's that's a lot because this is supposed to be a holy place, mm -hmm. and ev even though I mean what they're doing is totally not holy but they're in a position where you trust them you're mm -hmm. you're around them and these people are claiming to be you know god's representative representatives and so they were betraying that trust already at such a young age um first of all i am so sorry that that evil had to happen because it happens so much but it's like 
religious people don't learn and and i i hope it it never happens uh but i would like to ask do you know if there were any other people in your community who are also going through similar circumstances i remember other um children being involved so there was um there was a group i had multiple abusers and i do remember other children that were um involved in in many of the same activities um so my abusers did make um child pornography with us um they used us to make child porn and i do remember some of the other children that um i was engaged in particular acts with while they were filming um however the people um I, I remember a couple of specific people they do not seem to have any memories of it and i have never spoken to them about it because i don't want to trigger something in them that they're not ready for but there were other children that were being abused at the same time that i was wow again that's something so terrible and like how how does how does someone come to like understand the evil that's happening um I, th that may be a rhetorical question but that's a question that i've struggled with quite a bit because i just my adult human brain cannot rationalize how can people do this so much uh and and not just what happened to me but but in all these instances and i I don't have an answer for that. I don't know how they can. Um, I'll give them some benefit of the doubt and assume that they probably had experienced something similar growing up. Um, and that still doesn't excuse it because I experienced it, have never perpetrated that on anybody and am now working in fact to, you know, help others overcome their trauma. So there's only so much that I'm willing to, to allow for, for, um, people's own upbringings and their own traumas yes and did the church ever offer any like um real counseling or any any kind of support or was it more like it's your fault um uh it, <laughs> um it is more like uh my experience was more, um, well, it, it was only a one-off, doesn't really happen very often. You just unfortunately were one of the the few that that experienced. The Mormon church says that they've come out and condemned it. They have had a lot of talks about um, how it's um, not, it's against the Mormon religion or it's against the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints beliefs. Um, and yet it gets it gets a lot more complicated than that. So, um, back in the nineties, so, so I'm 44 and so my abuse was happening, um, started in the eighties, went through the eighties and the nineties. Um, once again, I don't know exactly when it stopped. I left for college in 97. So, um, you know, a pretty long stretch of time. And back in 1991, there was a position in a leadership, I mean, a, a person in a position of leadership in the LDS church who wrote a memo to the LDS prophet and the LDS, the Mormon church, they have a prophet who oversees the whole church. And um, this person um, by the name of Glenn Pace, he was in another position of leadership. He had written a memo to the 
prophet and the leaders of the Mormon church in 91 saying that he had investigated and had interviewed um, something like 60 people who all were claiming this ritualistic child sex abuse was happening to them. And they were from various different states, various different places, and they all had very similar stories. And um, the the memo somehow got leaked to the public. Um, it, but he also referenced that there were other memos um, and other information that the LDS church had previously received talking about this problem with this ritualistic child sex abuse that was happening in the church. And nothing was done. Nothing, you know, so th the leaders came out, they gave talks about you know, it's it's a sin to abuse children, but there wasn't really any steps taken to um, to make, in my, in my opinion, there were not enough steps taken to make things safer for children. And in my opinion, there still are not enough safety measures in place um, for children in the LDS Church. Yeah, I'm I'm happy I'm happy you mentioned that about you know the the safety measures. Now, I mean, the other stuff, of course, you know, it's it's terrible, but. I'm happy you brought that up because there definitely needs to be uh, measures for safety uh, because the children are the most innocent, the most vulnerable. They have no voice. And then sometimes when they do, you know, when they do ask for help, they're, they're not believed because it's mm -hmm. like, like I, I was uh, talking with, I think it was uh, Jehovah Witnesses. And I believe that they have a, a rule where it's like, if someone comes forward to talk about abuse or about some kind of infraction, there have to be two witnesses. And, you know, sometimes it's like, how's that going to work? You know, it's like the system is, the, the system is made so that there's no real justice. Yeah. And, it does not protect the children in many instances. Yeah. And, and it's been, you said that they had memo, memos leaked and they still Only the had one memo was leaked, but yeah, there were previous ones also mentioning it. And how did you, well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think like, well, there, there's so many questions, but these questions can be like, you know, summed up to why, why wasn't like more action taking place? And, you know, maybe we'll never get an answer or maybe they're protecting themselves. Um, it's just, it's just sick. I, I don't understand it. And I know um, this this might be very controversial because there are a lot of people who believe in the Mormon faith. And, and I am not speaking bad about every single Mormon person out there. I'm saying that there is not of a system, enough of a system in place to protect children. Um, and when you grow up in a fundamental religion where you believe that everybody is, you know, inherently good. And when you're taught that God is um, at the helm and controlling what happens in your church, you don't question your neighbors. So there is no discussion about body safety, especially in Mormonism and very conservative religions, um, talking about body safety and even premarital sex or sex in general, like having those open discussions for children to learn what it is or what, what even abuse is. When I was little, I remember trying to tell my parents that something was happening, but I didn't even have the language to be able to say like, my uh oh feeling is, you know, there's something wrong with this. I remember trying to tell my parents that um, one of one of my abusers was mean. He punished me because I was bad. And 
my definition of punished was very different than what my parents' interpretation of that word was. And I remember, I have since recovered memories, by the way, these are not, this is not stuff that I remembered until I started doing intensive therapy of my parents just saying, oh, well, he's just trying to help you learn how to show heavenly father or God respect. You know, I mean, they just didn't even comprehend because I didn't have the language in order to, um, to even be able to express it. And, and for a lot of us growing up in very fundamental religions like that, we don't have language because that kind of stuff is not talked about, let alone the protections in place. And, you know, the belief that, that, that your neighbors are good and everybody's doing what, um, what God's commanding when in reality, there've been studies done that show predators and pedophiles hang out in religious organizations because of this, um, this kind of safety mechanism built into mm-hmm. um, this protection because religious congregations don't question as often as non-religious groups do. So as, as a child, you went through the worst of the worst. You, you lack the language to express mm-hmm. yourself because you did try to express that something was happening and yes. you were, you were not understood and then so you repress these memories for so long. And then um, someone whom you are in a, a deep relationship betrays that trust and does something that's, I mean, for, for those of you who are listening and you've been cheated on or you've been, it, you had your heart crushed, you know, maybe they understand. And, yeah. And it's a terrible feeling. It's it is. A, it is. That it's is like, real. It's like, why? Why you gotta be such such a terrible person? You know, it's like, why? Why couldn't you just end it with me? Like, be honest with me. I, you know, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to understand all, all of these things that that happened to you, and how, how did you, how did you hold on to hope? Because I mean, here you are today um brave and you know telling your story but also you also work on helping others to heal i do um there were many times i'm gonna fully admit i didn't have hope and in fact hope is um an emotion that is very painful for me i remember um hope is actually very uncomfortable um it not uncomfortable. It's painful. It's downright painful for me because I remember as a child, um, hoping for something different, hoping for someone to save me. And that never happened. So for me, hope has always been, um, you get your hopes up and then there's further to fall when, when it doesn't happen. And so I have to admit, hope is probably not a word I would use because that is so painful for me. Mm-hmm. I think it's more, sheer determination that I wasn't going to let them win. Like, I didn't care what it was. It was that I was not going to let them win. Um, so I don't know that I would use the term hope because that was really, in fact, still to today, hope is very challenging for me. Um, and I think it was just sheer determination that I was not going to let them win. And there were times where I didn't even feel that, like it was, I've been through some dark times where, um, where even that was hardly not enough. I'm hardly enough to get me through. And oftentimes I didn't even want that to be enough. Um, so I think it was more just 
kind of like a, you're not going to beat me. Um, resilience. Resilience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Um, yeah. Keep going. No. Um, so it's, it's good that you speak your truth and, you know, share your story about uh, how you feel about uh, the healing journey, about your struggles with hope, because there are listeners out there who are coming from all walks of life. And, you know, it might resonate with someone who's like, yeah, I, I also have a hard time with hope. But I really liked what Angie said because it's like now like I wanna I wanna fight back and not in a in a villainous uh evil way, but now you're using your energy. You became well, first of all, you became an RN. I did. And then you start uh, you started this other journey, and we're gonna get to that in the in the next episode. But yes. just just very briefly. You started doing this other uh, healing journey. Uh, can you share very briefly a little bit about what you do? Yeah, um, I help people use play and movement to release stress, anxiety, tension, depression, and trauma so they can have more joy and peace in their lives. Um, as I was on my healing journey, I um, needed I needed movement. I needed a way to... Um, to release back or to, to release all the trauma that I had. And by doing play and movement, it actually helped me to tap into the child part of my brain that was so, um, I, I was gonna say destroyed, but it wasn't destroyed. That was so um, taken from me when I was a little, like the opportunity to be a true child. And so by tapping into play and that joyful, love um of movement and just fun that children have it's actually a way to heal and it um helps to reform neural connections in our brain so that we can form new pathways i one time heard imagine uh, not imagination i one time heard trauma defined as the loss of imagination um the loss of the ability to see something different and so by tapping into that creativity and imagination it does create a whole new world a whole new space that that for me and for many of my clients that i work with has just profoundly changed our healing trajectories so well i i can't wait to heal to heal, to heal. Well, oh, i can't wait to heal that too. yeah that, that too i can't wait to hear a little bit more details about this healing practice that you have and how it's helped not only you, but also the clients who are under your care. But we're going to save that for the next yes. episode. Yes. And for the meantime, uh, is there any links that you can share for listeners who are listening to this first episode? Yeah. Um, so the best way to get in touch with me is my website. It's angiebarrettmovement.com. And I spell my last name B-E-R-R-E-T-T. -T, so just know we spell it a little bit funny. Um, and you can get to, I have some of my story on there. If you want to hear more about my story, it has links to all of my um, social medias. I do a lot of um, talking about some of my history, my feelings. Um, I do a lot of stuff on Instagram reels, talking about shame. Shame's a big one that I'm working on right now. So that's one that... Um, I've done some on recently. <laughs> um, so I do talk about not only my way of um, 
uh, of my movement practices, but also my own personal like struggles with healing from, from this, um, child abuse that I experienced. So thank you so much for sharing these, uh, handles and for sharing with us, uh, your experience of, you know, this absolute darkness, how you didn't give up and how you're such a badass and a <laughs> fighter and how you keep going. And uh, for the listeners, uh, stay tuned because there's going to be a part two and you can hear a little bit more about what Angie does in her healing practice and how she's been able to not only move forward, but also help others in their healing journey as well. I am Ryan Anthony Hernandez, and I'm here with Angie Barrett, and that's it for today's episode. Until next time, uh, this is the Truth That Heals podcast.